Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. What's up, guys? I hope you are ready for part two of this two-part episode with Constantin Kissin, the man whose Oxford Union speech absolutely broke the internet, getting over 100 million views. For those that don't know, Constantin is a comedian, social commentator, and podcast host of the show Trigonometry, which celebrates freedom of speech, among many other hot-button topics. He's had on people like Bill Maher, Ben Shapiro, and a host of other incredible guests. In this second part, we get into some really spicy topics that I think you guys are absolutely going to love, including freedom of speech, what it means these days to talk online when everybody has a personal brand, and how careful you have to be. I think you guys are going to love it, and if you enjoy this conversation, make sure you're following the show so you never miss an episode, and you are the first to find out when a new episode drops. Following us really is the best way to support the podcast, so we would really appreciate it. It will help us reach many, many more people and get more amazing guests on the show. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory. Well, it's interesting. So I don't know if I'm in a better position to tell you on that because I haven't run this experiment, Mm. but I have had these conversations with my team who are, so to your point, I, there, I, every word that I say on this show, I believe, Mm -hmm. but I am far more aggressive off camera than I am on camera. I'm far more flippant and lean towards making something funny or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so my team loves that. Mm -hmm. And they have been desperate like to record that side of me Mm -hmm. where it's just like you know completely unleashed and like we were having a what i thought was a fucking hilarious conversation yesterday about raising ai children which Mm -hmm. i actually think is going to be real yeah uh and my team was um very much like yeah this would be the kind of stuff like we want to hear you go ham like this Mm -hmm. uh on camera and i'm like so take take so we my wife and I do relationship content and off camera when I say so I used to be a stand up comic I don't mm-hmm. know if you have if you've ever heard that side of me so I know you did as well until very recently I guess you've sort of pressed pause on that um, probably two or three years ago now so okay it feels like so a long time. you were like a for real stand up comic I was a wannabe stand up comic in my teens and early twenties and I would 
my whole shtick was I would talk about the most outlandish shit, the stuff where you're like, I can't, believe, what the fuck? Nobody talks about that. And so that that's like, I have that natural part of my personality, but I'm trying to be the next Walt Disney. I'm not trying to be the next uh, Tony Robbins or the next uh, Joe Rogan. I'm trying to be the next Walt Disney. And I was like, going to the relationship content, people always want to ask us about sex. Now in my real life, I am not, I'll make your eyelids curl back. Like, I have no problem talking about it. It doesn't phase me at all. Mm. But I can't escape this question. Do people want footage of Walt Disney talking about his sex life? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know that I want that. And so my my love, man, and I, I really love it. And it's silly and childish, but you'll notice I have a cartoon character on my shirt. And this is a character I thought of. And there's nothing that gets me more excited than... Like I've written comic books. And when somebody writes in and is like, dude, that comic, like it, I loved it so much. It really like impacted me. You know, this idea was so cool and so entertaining. That, I, I almost wish it didn't. That impacts me more than the person who's like, oh my God, that uh, episode you did. Or, um, you know, if I do solo content, and they're like, oh man, you know, I'm using that idea and I've taught it to my kids. And that stuff is meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. But my just first love and passion is storytelling. And so I am very conflicted about like how ham to go Mm. on thinking through all of these ideas live on camera, but I find myself just inching and inching and inching that way. So anyway, to to the initial point, the initial question about um, does this become problematic in any way to deal with these topics or bring this to the forefront? I don't know, maybe it does, given what I'm trying to accomplish Mm. it is a little bit sticky that's very interesting to me it's an interesting conversation which i think a lot of people who are making things in the online space who are by virtue of what they do in the public eye to some extent uh have to think about um it's interesting you mentioned about the cartoon character because it sounds like to me the reason that praise of that lands with you in a different way is that it's the most quintessentially authentic expression of your true being it's interesting. Not quite true. Okay. So the most authentic expression of my true being will come out in multiple ways. So the thing that I love being on stage talking about mindset, mm. mindset and business. Like if you get me going on either of those, dude, because this is where I'm like, I almost feel like I can't talk fast enough because yeah. I know these ideas will change anybody's life. They are timeless right. ideas. I'm just like, this is so cheesy, but I'm just the vessel right now that happens to know how to package these ideas in a way that people will find useful. But dude, I took myself from scrounging in my couch cushions to find enough change to put gas in my car, Mm. true story, to selling a company for a billion dollars that I built with my partners from absolute fucking scratch. We did not raise money. And so I'm like, okay, the only reason I was able to do this is because of a set of ideas. Mm. I can teach this to you. I've now built three companies in a row in three totally divergent areas. All of them have been multi-million dollar companies. One of them was a billion dollar company. So it's like, oh my God, like take notes, get a pen out. So I love doing that. But the act of being on stage is not as emotionally captivating mm-hmm. as losing myself inside of a story. Interesting. And so whatever weird twist of brain fate, I, I am a hyper responder to stories, movies, TV shows, cartoons, video games, hyper responder. And so I would have been like in days of old, I would not have been a good warrior. I'm, I don't have the physicality for that. 
um, I would have been the storyteller hmm. for sure. I would have been the one around the campfire that built the mythology and just really one understood the deep psychological impact of story and just I get the chills from hearing stories and telling stories. And, and so there's, there's a secondary layer that I don't fully mm. even understand in myself that makes me love the story side. That makes sense. Mm. Okay. So um, I want to know, I want to get back to the central idea of if you were, in fact, this is the right way to ask it. You have a child, mm-hmm. you have a son, you want him to grow into a good world. Your Oxford speech was really uh, reaching across to people that believe in ideology that you think will lead them somewhere that isn't helpful to mm-hmm. them or to society. So while I understand you don't want to be Elon Musk and you don't want to be making some of these decisions, give me the broad strokes of what you think makes for a good society. Well, this is the point that I was going to make a lot earlier when you were talking about how you know what works. And this is one of the difficulties that we find ourselves in because the moment I start saying to you, here are the things that work, I know you can hear them, but a lot of people out there don't hear them in the way that they're intended, which is you say growth mindset, right? This, If you want these results, this is what you do. Right? For society, that's A, much more difficult, and B, one of the problems that you end up having is you're, it necessitates the making of generalized statements about people and humanity and society. These things are generally speaking good. And we are now in a position where the moment I say that, for example, you and I, before we started, we talked about most people should have children. Mm. Something, it was maybe phrased, yeah. I can't remember if quote. you used the word should, or it's yep. a quote. And I agree with that. But the moment you say that, particularly if you say it online, uh, a lot of people are going to come along and give you some very legitimate examples of people in situations in which that isn't true. And the one of the big challenges that we face is it's impossible to make any sort of generalized normative statement uh, because those counterexamples will immediately be used against you and usually in a weaponized way. So, for example, one of the th- I mean, one of the th- themes of today seems to me our mutual uh, shared love, not mutual, but shared love of Thomas Sowell. One of the, the key messages that he expressed and it was then communicated by other people who picked up on it, particularly from the black community, was the idea of the importance of a what we used to call an intact family, parents living together under one roof with their children. He, he, people have different explanations of why that is no longer the case nearly as much as it used to be. Some people say it's a consequence of the sexual revolution some people will say it's a consequence you know thomas all himself i think would mm. say that it's a consequence of the welfare state you can slice that a hundred different ways or maybe not a hundred but a few but if you say one of the good things that will make society better is children growing up and in, in a two-parent household most often with a man and a woman which allows them to learn the stereotypes and the ways of behaving and blah 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 Well, you've immediately excluded, and this is the worst thing you can do in modern society, you have excluded a whole lot of people who also have value and dignity and so on and so forth. So that is why we're in the predicament that we're in. And I, as someone 
you know, you ask exactly the right question. I struggle to answer it, actually, because um, it's very, very difficult to talk about some of these things without immediately finding yourself in a position where you're being attacked by people on what actually seem like pretty reasonable grounds. You know, mm. why why are you sitting there, Constantin, telling other people to have or not have children? Why are you sitting there, tell, you, know, demon, you know, demonizing single mothers? Why mm. are you sitting there, you know, saying that this type of family unit is better than that type of family unit when we're all unique, special individuals who have the right to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult. And, you know, this Do you is think some- there's an answer to that question, though? To which question? What you just asked. Why are you doing this? Like, if somebody asked me that question... Yeah. Well, the, 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 my answer to that is, uh, I believe that, for example, if we talk about family unit, um, children... <laughs> I mean, it's not that I believe. There's an, an inescapable avalanche of evidence which shows that children growing up outside of that environment do infinitely worse on average. Now... It's on average. There are single mothers or single fathers who bring up their children wonderfully. There are children who grow up in care, who go on to, to have incredible lives of fulfillment and success. There are all sorts of counterexamples. But on average, uh, a child growing up in a stable family environment is far more likely to do better at school, to avoid going to prison and, and all sorts of other things, right? So uh, that's the reason if you don't want children to suffer and if you want to have a cohesive society, that is why I would make that statement, mm-hmm. right? Um, it feels to me like you could append, look, I know that reality is going to slap me in the mouth because mm. I'm about to say this and I'm going to read the comments and people are going to be like, he's a fucking moron. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, but I will say that seems super reasonable to me. So yeah. I'm the biology guy. So I'm like, oh, this is about first principles. This is about data. And if you just append one thing, we're going to, we're going to run the experiment. Cause you just laid out your argument. I'm just going to append one thing and we're going to see if people are like, word, these guys finally cracked it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are outside of that, you're a gay couple, you're a single mother, single father, whatever, mm. um, you still have dignity. And I'm so excited for you that you have children and um, you might be in a position where there are things you're going to have to take into consideration that you just have to deal with, right? So if I'm riding in a car versus driving a motorcycle, I'm going to act differently. Mm-hmm. They're both going to get me to my destination. If I'm careful, they're safe. I will get people there safely. Maybe one has like a track record. Cars are a little bit safer, or maybe even a lot safer than motorcycles. But what I need to know is what are the, if I'm on the motorcycle, I want you to tell me what the risks are because I'm on the motorcycle. So now I need to act a little bit differently. Maybe there are things that I need to do. Maybe even as the the traditional couple, maybe there are blind spots that we have and you can help me understand what those are. I'm not saying these are morally better, I'm just saying the data shows that there are outcomes that are better. And so this is what I'm always trying to get people to understand in business. You have to know the metric of success. So, hey, everybody having kids, gay, straight, single, uh, wherever, doesn't matter. What's the outcome that you want? Hmm. You want your kids to do well economically, emotionally, all of the above, whatever. Okay, cool. Now let's just look at the data. What choices are most likely to get you there? If you can't make that choice either because you love somebody else that doesn't fit that mold or uh, you lost your significant other, whatever. There's a million reasons uh, where you find yourself in one of the ones that's maybe a higher risk group. That doesn't make you bad, but you don't want to be blind to those risks. You, I would hope, want somebody to tell you, okay, hey, you have certain 
um, things you're going to need to address and, and really be thoughtful of. So for instance, this all started from before we started rolling, I said, most people should have kids. Mm-hmm. I am not having kids. And so the reason that I brought it up was I know that I'm playing what I consider a high risk game. Mm-hmm. I think it's emotionally high risk because evolution has said, hey, I'm going to make having children hyper rewarding to make sure that you do it. And so, so much of our circuitry is is around the expectation from an evolutionary perspective that you will have a child. So if you don't, there can be a lot of loneliness, a sense of not having meaning and purpose, nothing is living beyond you. And so, you know, did I waste my life? And all of those questions come with a really tidy answer if you have kids. Now, it's not to say that raising kids isn't brutally difficult, and I understand that. And that's why I don't say everybody should. I'm just saying like nature has made that one maybe a little bit easier to find fulfillment Mm -hmm. than the not having. So I have to, my wife and I talk a lot about how do we protect ourselves from that? Because I think when we're 80 and running a business isn't cool anymore and we're not like, you know, caught up in what we're building and maybe I just never managed to build the next Disney. And so I feel now like a failure and I never pulled it off. And, you know, so now I'm really struggling. So I'm like, we need to be thoughtful about that now so that we know how to frame our life, think about our life, all of that when we're older so that this doesn't become an emotionally devastating choice we made. We need to do it with our eyes wide open, et cetera. So that feels like the very, I would say, wise argument that you've made, that they're just, the data shows there are higher risks here or there. If you add the caveat to, this isn't a moral thing. This isn't me saying that, that you're not worthy of love or whatever, but so often people want to be right. that They maybe aren't a good messenger for that uh i think that's certainly true and um it's a rebuke that i willingly accept i don't always phrase things in the best way that i could sometimes however you're operating at a level of detachment from emotion that most people are not Mm. Um, and one of the problems that all people face really is that we all or certainly most people i think you're you're your your circumstances are quite different to the average person. I think we we don't we we both agree, right? Um, most people are operating at a level of unhappiness with their choices or things that they experience without maybe realizing that the consequences of the choices that makes it very difficult for them to accept data mm. because if the data says you fucked up, it's quite uncomfortable, and there's nothing you can do, right? So, for example. You know, I, I mentioned something about um, the way that women uh, in modern society on Twitter, I don't know if you saw this, um, have – what I was trying to say, what I was trying to get across is essentially women don't actually have the true freedom to make a choice because there are – about, so, ha- about having a kid? Yes, because there are cultural – Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> because there are cultural settings that say some some paths for women are better than others. So mm-hmm. if you are a housewife, that is not as high status as having a high-powered career. Uh, very traumatic in my eyes, but yes. Very. It, it's devastating that that's become sort of this oh, low status thing. Completely. Uh, and it, it isn't the fault of women, by the way, although it is may often other women that will react that way, but it's also the fault of men too. Like we're both mm. sexes are complicit in this. Um, but – if you are a 44-year-old woman who maybe you feel you, – I, I, 
I don't know if it's objectively true necessarily, but let's say you feel subjectively that you did your best. You know, you you went out and you dated guys and you did your best to work on the relationship, but they were assholes or this happened or that happened or one of them got killed by a car or, or whatever. And here you are, you're 44 years old, you haven't had a child. And here's some dickhead on the internet telling you to have children when you're not going to have them, mm. right? That level of detachment that you have, which is to go, well, you know, we're not having children. Here are the consequences. Here are some of the actions I can take to mitigate that. That is not the people so that's not something that a lot of people have uh and that's why the conversation becomes very very difficult mm. because there's a lot of emotional attachment to what people are saying you know um and it, it, it there's there are probably things that i'm like that about you know you tell me th this or that and i'm i might react emotionally i i know that that is not effective and so i work on it over time and i've certainly got a lot better but i think a lot of people are not in that position that you're talking about where they're truly conscious of the choices that they're making and their true consequences mm -hmm. you know so that's one of the reasons it makes all of these conversations very difficult and jordan peterson is working on something called the arc i think uh and there are other people who are talking about what is our positive vision what's the arc it's i think I haven't looked too deeply into it. I'll probably end up being involved in it in some way, but it's essentially what I've been talking about for some time, which is what is that positive vision? And mm. the reason, I'll be honest with you, I am, uh, first of all, I'm not smart enough to come up with the whole whole thing on my on my own. And also, I'm, I'm also kind of a little bit not brave enough too to come up with the whole thing on my own because the amount of shit you're going to take for starting to articulate Brother, some of these things. Oh my God. Right. I don't want Jordan Peterson's life. That looks really brutal. No, it's terrible. Uh, and uh, so I I don't want to be the only one uh, saying it, which is why I think <laughs> we're, we're a group of people to be talking about it. And that's why I'm super excited, particularly on the children's stuff with people like Louise Perry and Mary Harrington. Louise Perry, I feel like I've heard that name. She wrote a book called... Um, the case against the sexual revolution i think i think oh that's one of her yes books. i think uh jordan interviewed her right yeah and i've in we've interviewed her on trigonometry oh word um so her and mary harrington are these two feminists but mm. of a very particular kind uh, mary's book's called feminism against progress yes i think i listened to your interview on that yeah I think you'd have a wonderful conversation with both of them. I'm too chicken. <laughs> uh, it's like, what do you want the channel to be about? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Louise, particularly, you know, Mary is very intellectual, mm -hmm. almost to the detriment of sometimes getting her message across. She's a wonderful human being and her ideas are fascinating. But Louise, for me, you know, I sing her praises everywhere because to me, she's like a female Jordan Peterson. Mm. Uh, and she can get away with a lot more because of that. Mm. You know, but fundamentally, you know, one of the things we're going to have to reckon with is we've, as a society, we, or as a civilization, even we've, we've unpicked a lot of the, the threads of the sweater that used to hold the sweater together, mm. religion, family, children, all of these things. Um, and we're going to have to think about what a, what a new sweater looks like. And it has mm -hmm. to be, I feel, you know, we, I explained to you why why there's good reason to be cowardly about saying a lot mm -hmm. of these things, which is why we have to frame it in a different way that is invitational. It can't be, you must have children. That doesn't work anymore. 
Maybe it never worked. I mean, maybe it did work. A hundred years ago, maybe it did work for most people most of the time. It has to be more like what you are talking about, which is what do you want? What do you truly, truly want? Because let's be honest, going out to parties and getting drunk and taking drugs and having casual sex isn't making you fulfilled. I'm sorry if this sounds like a conservative idea. I'm sorry. I wish I didn't have to articulate these ideas that sound conservative because then people call me conservative and then I get end up in the box. But the fact of the matter is we all know that is a fact. These things do not make you fulfilled and happy in the long run. They just don't, right? So what is it that you want? What is it that every human being wants? You talked about it. I can't remember if it was before we started or after. It's meaning and fulfillment, mm. right? How are you going to get there? Here are some things that people have done in the past to get those things. Meaning and fulfillment. How do you get that? Well, for some people, that's going to be meaningful work, right? But not everybody's going to have that opportunity. For some people, it's going to be a family. Not everyone's going to have that opportunity. But here is a menu with a few, option, with a few options that, that we can offer you as a human, as, as the body of human uh, knowledge about these things. That's what I think it has to be looked like. It has to look like, and look, if you don't want to sign up to this, that's fine. But deep down, everybody wants meaning and fulfillment. Here are some of the ways to get that. Mm. Man, I think that's, that is critical. Meaning and fulfillment really is the punchline. I am often trying to get people to understand all that ultimately matters is how you feel about yourself when you're by yourself. Mm. And the way that you feel good about yourself is basically following the guidelines of fulfillment, which I think there's a recipe for. And okay. it goes something like this. Again, evolution guy over here. So you evolution is going to guarantee that if you do the following things, you will be fulfilled. And if you don't, you won't, no matter what, don't care how rich you are. You're gonna have to work really hard mm -hmm. to gain a set of skills mm -hmm. that allow you to serve yourself and others in a way that you find exciting. Mm. If you do that, your life will be awesome. If it comes easily to you, you won't have the things you want. If you work really hard, but only serve yourself, you won't have the things you want. Like there, nature is trying to make sure that you have kids that stay alive long enough to have kids that have kids. So it's like, that. that's the drill. And that is as far as I can tell, that's the formula that's gonna make you feel that way. So in the working hard and all that is where you earn your own respect, Earning your own respect is about having a value system. You say, these are the things that are worthy of respect and I'm going to do these. Uh, I think the only feedback loop is the pursuit of fulfillment. So anyway, if you're doing things to earn your own respect, then I think you'll feel good about yourself when you're by yourself. Even if you're failing, there's a whole, I've got a whole shtick about how to construct your mindset to mm -hmm. be resilient, et cetera, et cetera, it's beyond what we're talking about right now. Where does raising children, particularly if you're a woman, fit into that? Okay, so- And family generally. So this is where you, if you think about all, like what I'm trying to do is the grand scale version of what having a family is. Mm. And I think if the, um, if the individual is the right level of analysis for your own life, for the government to think about the, its constituency, all of that is, is to get down to the individual, the family is the smallest cluster of meaning. Hmm. And so you get, if nature wants to make sure that you contribute to the group, the family becomes the place where you can first express that, but it's also the place where you get to be, uh, you have a role. And so you're going to be able to have autonomy. Hmm. So there's, 
um, a lot of things, if you've read Steven Pinker's book, Drive, uh, talks a lot about this. Daniel Pink? I forget which one of them wrote this. Forgive me. Uh, but there's a book called I Drive. I Steven Pinker. There's a book called Drive. You're right. It's definitely not. Daniel Pink, mm. maybe. The book is Drive. Anyway, uh, and in it, it talks about what really drives people. A huge driver, other than meaning and purpose, is autonomy. And so at the family level, there's a reason that people say, I'm the king of the castle, meaning of my own home. Like when I come in my own home, nobody else gets to tell me what to do, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so the husband and the wife come together as this yin-yang uh, duel that together is truly better than either of them are individually. Mm. If you take a long-term stance, you're going to shape each other. So you're literally making each other better when it's functioning well. And then when you have kids, now you've got that. I have done the thing. I have worked hard to become a worthy wife or a worthy husband, a worthy mom, a worthy father. So worked hard, gained a set of skills, and now I'm serving the group, not just myself. So I'm doing things that matter to me. So I'm going to teach my son to be a man in a way that feels good. And I, this is the way I believe things ought to be. Mm. And so in doing that in that small atom, now it's like you're going to get all that fulfillment that you want. Now I get it. This is probably somewhat of a modern construct, even if you give me modern in the last 20,000 years, right? Mm. But I think it's all an echo of things that work at the tribal level, things that work at like the state level, all of it is you get these... The individual has to be strong under themselves, accomplished, that's probably a dangerous word to use, but strong and accomplished in the ways they will need to be to serve the family, Mm. need to be to serve their local community, and then it just scales up from there. So we do have that drive to, um, we're really going to derail now, but to, we want to be recognized for our contributions. Mm -hmm. And so my wife and I do that for each other. Um, We want to have something that lasts beyond us, kids. So anyway, again, I would like to restate, I don't have children. So Mm -hmm. it's not the path that I've chosen to walk. But when I look at, from an evolutionary standpoint, I'm like, that is the safer path. So anyway, it goes back to, there's no solution. There's only trade-offs. And I just want people to understand, okay, whatever path I walk, it's going to be a trade-off. So what am I trading off? That's right. And I think that's the question that, that's why I said what I said on Twitter about women not having true choice. I didn't quite phrase it that way, but that's what I meant, which is a lot of people are being culturally manipulated into making decisions that are not in their long-term benefit or interest mm-hmm. or happiness. They, they're just not. They're just not. Um, and they're being encouraged to see uh, the pursuit of meaningless things as far superior to the things that will actually give them meaning and fulfillment on average. Doesn't mean there aren't exceptions, Mm -hmm. right? But on average. So that I think is, and those things, you know, find a partner who loves you that you love that you grow together with. Uh, Have children if that's what you want to do. Seek meaningful work. And, um, you know, to me, I'm speaking just from personal experience, personal growth and experience, uh, experiencing myself develop is probably one of the highest values that I hold for myself, you know, guaranteed, um, skill acquisition. You know, I always, I always talk to my guys about this. It's like, you don't really want to learn how to do a job necessarily. You want to acquire a set of skills Mm. and build the set of skills that can be used to do many different jobs. Uh, and you package them together. This is why, you know, like I know you, you, you tried your hand at stand up, and I did stand up for probably four or five years uh, I never got to the point, you know, it takes about 10 years to become a great stand-up. I never got to the point where I was great. I was doing well. I was pretty good. But what happened was I found something that 
combined my skills in a better mm-hmm. way, which is thinking and talking and joking, and you put that in a package, and then you've got something that's much more interesting than just, for me at least, as a mm-hmm. stand-up comedian. I never found that as fulfilling as what I do now. Um, so meaningful work, learn, grow, etc. cetera. Uh, and then I think, you know, another layer to add on top of this, and this is actually something that uh, I, I'm aware of thanks to my wife, men and women are incredibly different. Mm. Incredibly different. And so... You, you can't imagine how surprised I was to find that become <laughs> controversial. I was like, what? <laughs> of all the things, I was like, wait, 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 wait what? I, I don't know what to say about that, man. I mean, it's so silly that we even have to have this conversation. But mm. men and women are incredibly different. And one of the most beneficial things to my wife and I's relationship has been the fact that we've read books about how exactly different we are. I mean, mm. John Gray, who I think lives somewhere around here, who's been writing about this for decades now. Uh, I don't know if I subscribe to every tenet of his ideology or whatever, but his books work. Uh, And some of the things that I've learned from that meant that we have a much more fulfilled and happier relationship, but Mm -hmm. also we're much more fulfilled and happy as individuals. Um, So that, that you know, it's that know thyself thing, I think. Uh, and part of the th- the problem with what I see is we're deliberately brainwashing people not to realize that they are, to a large extent, what they are. Mm. That part of who you are is driven by your biology. And if you can understand how best to manage that, particularly in partnership with someone of the opposite sex, if you are heterosexual, you're going you're gonna to be like a rocket that's taking off because you've got all of those things. You know your trigger points. You know the things that that don't work for you. You know what works for you. Just like, you know, the, I don't know if you're familiar with John Gray's work, but like the idea of the cave for a man. Mm, uh, basically, it's the idea that every now and again, a man will pull back in a relationship and will feel like you'll go and like, you know, work, try and repair his motorcycle or play mm. computer games or read a book and you'll close the door to the office and not be available. And women tend to find that very scary because they're like, whoa, what the hell's going on? Mm. But the guy is just doing his recharge so that he can come back and be full of love again. Like that was revolutionary because what women will do if they don't know that is chase after you into the cave, which means you only run away further and and, right. right. It's this dynamic. And John Gray uh, wrote about this in Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus like 40 years ago. Mm. And now we've got all these crazy people running around saying, oh, there's no difference between men and women. I mean, it's insane. If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world like Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. Now, I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy for you to start, run, and grow your business. It didn't used to be this easy. I'm telling you, back in the day, it was a lot harder. I'm so jealous. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly and efficiently choose Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash impact now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash impact. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You will never be able to reach your full potential if you are riddled with stress and have a lot weighing on your mind. I can tell you from my own experiences with stress and negative thought loops, you have to find a way to work through whatever it is that's weighing on you if you're going to have any hope of achieving your goals. Therapy can be an option for working through things and for an online therapy option that is super convenient and flexible, be sure to check out BetterHelp. With BetterHelp, everything is 100% online and getting started is quick and easy. A brief questionnaire matches you with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra charge. Get things off your chest, process through things with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash impact theory today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, dot com slash impact theory. It's Tom Bilyeu here. And if you are addicted to the relentless pursuit of greatness, then I've got something special for you guys. The Motivation Daily Podcast by Motiversity. It's your daily fix of motivation, inspiration, and wisdom featuring the best speeches and speakers on the planet. We cover it all. Life, business, relationships, discipline, purpose, mental health, sports, studying, focus, you name it. With exclusive speeches from heavy hitters like Coach Payne, Billy Allsbrooks, Marcus Taylor, Dr. Jessica Houston, Walter Bond, and more. If you're ready to take control, level up, or just crush your day, then Motivation Daily Podcast is your secret weapon. Search for the Motivation Daily Podcast and follow wherever you listen to amazing podcasts. The one that helped me the most, it's like one of those catchy phrases, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so true, uh-huh. is uh, women need to feel loved to have sex, yes. and men need to have sex to feel loved. That's right. When I heard that, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like it was, it was like such an epiphany where, oh, now I get why she acts the way that she does, and now I actually understand myself better, because I never really thought about it. But I was like, yeah, if we're not having sex, I feel disconnected. Yes. Whereas for her, if she feels disconnected, she doesn't want to have sex. So now you can get into this really weird dynamic where it's like she wants, you know, all this talk and like connection. And I'm like, man, like I'm not into that unless we're having sex. Like what are we, what are we yeah, even talking about here? And here again, we come back to the problems with the society that we live in. If you've got that issue going on, which every couple has had, the solution it's difficult to articulate out loud because it's very controversial, mm. potentially. I mean, John Gray's solution, I don't want to misrepresent it, but it's kind of like sometimes you need to have sex even though you're not entirely... Do you see what... Oh, I'm waiting for you to say it. Oh, and, and, and it's like, <laughs> do you see what I mean? Oh, now, I do. I am not advocating that anyone has sex. That, that For fuck's sake, I don't want to do this, but you know what I mean. I know exactly what you're saying. So... In order for men and women to be healthy together, it requires us to be able to say some things that we don't want to say in public. Yeah. And that's a bad place to be, that we we feel hesitant to say them in public, Mm -hmm. right? Um, That's a bad place to be if we want men and women to to be healthier. And that's another of the things that really bugs me about the situation that we're in is like, the idea that men and women are engaged in some sort of battle of the sexes is the craziest idea I've ever fucking heard. These two groups of people who have spent the entirety of human evolution having to work together to survive and to thrive, they're they're against each other? Are you crazy? Mm. Are you insane? And and the, the very notion that we spend 
almost no time talking about how the sexes can and should live together and coexist and grow together and so on. And we spend all our time talking about who gets paid more and all of this stuff. I'm not saying those things aren't necessarily important and I'm against discrimination of any kind, obviously. But the focus of our attention to me is on that issue completely in the wrong place. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. All of this stuff, going back to that idea, there there is a reason that these arguments endure and the reason is that there's truth on both sides. Yes. So uh, I read a lot about history. This is something that came to me pretty recently, like the last five or six years. And you read historical stuff and you realize men and women were working together to survive. It was very harsh. But also like people weren't really trying to understand each other as deeply as we might care about mm. that now. And so there very much was like you went off to war and you did your thing and you really may do some raping and pillaging and then you come back. But it's like, you're still my husband. And so the, all of the stuff of we would never have survived without helping each other. And oh, by the way, people really did rape and pillage. It's like both of those things are true mm. and history is messy. And one thing I want to talk about today, but maybe not yet uh, is what I call the triangle of evil. Um, humans are complicated, mm. like really complicated. And if we, I like the idea that there are certain mind viruses that as, as a society make us on the long arc of history, bend towards justice. I love that. Like, mm. that's amazing. But any one lifetime can, can have its like horrible things happened in that society, mm. things that we would never be okay with today. I mean, just like really grueling, but at the same time, you can go back to any time in history and there would be love. And you'd be, even if you were an arranged marriage that you would find this mutual respect and you'd raise kids that you love and you die for each other. I mean, it's just like humans are messy and complicated and beautiful and wonderful. And it's really, really interesting, but you have to be willing to get into the nuance. And so when I think about, you know, living in a modern time, I've been with my wife for 22 years mm. and in no uncertain terms, I am a better person because of her. Mm -hmm. I don't know who I would be without her. Mm -hmm. There was a time before she stepped out front. So she was a housewife and just really supporting me, but I was starting to take off as an entrepreneur, starting to get recognized, had a show, like all of that. And I burst into tears one day and I'm not a crier, man. So for people like that really, really know me, they know that this is like weird. Mm. Uh, I burst into tears one day privately just with my wife. And I was like, you will never get credit for the fact that, of who I've become mm. because you have influenced me. And even, even having that conversation, like I love talking about, there's a reason the cliche of behind every powerful man is a powerful mm. woman because women for eons not necessarily true now with the pill and the sexual revolution and all that and they're in the workforce but for millennia they had to work through men mm. and so they got very good at i want a thing and i'm gonna get you to also want that thing are you saying women are manipulative oh brother i'm saying like <laughs> if, if we can use a word that is less radioactive but a hundred percent so uh in in the movie Sorry, i'm just no trolling. i love it it's just true it's true so going back to this idea of being a predictive engine right if the more you can predict the outcome of your behaviors right the closer you're getting to ground truth right. and so from an evolutionary perspective and, and look this has changed now and it's awesome like i want women to work my wife is is a boss bitch and uh is an entrepreneur in her own right and is unbelievable 
But my wife will be the first to tell you, oh yeah, for the first decade of our marriage, she wasn't expressing herself in business. She was expressing herself through me in business. And it worked and she knew how to get what she wanted. And it was women from an evolutionary perspective, they needed to be optimized to tend to young. And so they have effectively superpowers for raising kids. Doesn't mean they need to raise kids. You can allocate those superpowers however you want. Mm. But that nature was just like, hey, I need you to be very good at raising children. 15% of women have a fourth photoreceptor uh, that actually lets them see colors that guys can't even see, which hypothesis goes would help them see changes in color in their skin, their kids' skin tone so that mm. they'd be able to read sickness, mood, whatever. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Their breasts can produce milk. I mean, just all kinds of things. Their hips for childbirth, on and on and on. Uh, and so understanding that for millennia, women were, I mean, we are a sexually dimorphic species, not massively. We're not like gorillas where they're, you know, eight times bigger than the female, but there is sexual dimorphism. Men have stronger upper bodies, et cetera, et cetera. So the workloads would tend to get broken up in a certain way. And so if you're not going to be the half of the species that's going to confront something head on, like for a woman, and unfortunately I've seen uh, these YouTube videos where when you see a guy snap and get uh, throw a punch on a woman and you recognize the difference in ability to generate force, mm. it's distressing. And you realize at the ends of the spectrum, because there's a ton of overlaps, of course, there's a lot of women that could beat up a lot of men. But as you get to the ends of the distribution, the strongest man is going to be able to beat up every single woman on the planet, mm. period, bar none, end of story. Uh, and so it would not be a good evolutionary strategy for women to do the confrontation head on. So they get far more um, ingenious. Like they just have a sophisticated set of tools that happen to be psychological in nature. That was a lot of words to get around the word manipulation, but you get the idea. So um, I was rocked to tears to be like, whoa, you've shaped me into a person mm. that you will never get credit for. Thankfully now with everything that's happened, I think she does get a lot of credit and she's able to tell her own story and all of that. Um, but it was really a breathtaking moment for me to realize, whoa, like you have shaped me. I have shaped you. We are a partnership. We bring equal value, but in different ways. And the more we've come to understand the different things that we're good at, and each of us are good at different things, but together we really do bring equal weight, but they're not the same thing. Like no. we're not competing on the same things. Uh, you know what? It's so interesting to me that you told that story because uh, my wife and I are exactly the same. Uh, I've been together 20 years. Mm. Um, I know you guys have been together so long. Yeah, I've uh, been together that long and it, it was exactly the same story. Uh, my wife was... Uh, always working uh, from the beginning, but she was also working on me from the beginning mm. and pretty damn hard, actually. Um, and I actually, I forgot to give you a copy of my book. I'll give you one afterwards. But, oh, I have read it. Uh, I, I know, but I want to give you a signed copy. And if I'll you've read that. it, you know that the dedication in it says to Alina, with whom not, without whom nothing would be possible mm. and everything would be pointless. And that's how I feel. Um, and more generally, you know, uh, women are incredible to a man a woman is fucking amazing mm -hmm. because she can do things that you like i remember the first time uh i saw my mom resolve a conflict just with a smile and a joke i was like wow i couldn't believe it because 
it was so different to the way that young men in particular mm. tend to do things. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible. And so that's one of the terrible things about the standoffs that we create. It's like you can learn so much and grow so much together and help each other so much mm. um, that you know this division is completely unnecessary. It should be the other way around. We should be looking for ways to work together and um, you know, that's why I've always found uh, personal development and relationship growth together to be like essential parts of life, mm. essential parts of life. So I hear exactly what you're saying. Now, as for the recognition, I mean, do do you, you know, I believe that partly by talking about it, my wife does get the credit by mm. dedicating my book to her in that way. She from people who read the book, she gets the credit. And also now I'd like to think after all the hard work that she put in the investment is starting to slowly pay off. Mm. And as we know from Jordan Peterson, women make 80% of the purchasing decisions. So uh, all that bacon that I'm uh, going to be bringing home, you know, she's going to be enjoying the fruits of that. And so are our children. And that's kind of how it should be, at least for us. You know, um, she she's very talented photographer in her own right, but it's not something that she's ever made into a huge business. Uh, and I'm sure she'll carry on doing it, but right now she just wants to be with our son. And mm. I, I, I could not be happier to be able to provide that in a society in which that's actually become quite difficult. Mm. Not many people can do that for each other. Very true. Yeah, it's interesting. And society definitely has a lot of influence on what people want or think they're supposed to mm. want. So I lived a really interesting trajectory with my wife. So started out, she was a good Greek girl, raised to be a housewife. Her dad literally said, all right, fine, you want to go study film? It doesn't matter. You're just going to end up married and with kids. And he didn't mean it in a horrible way. I mean, that's just how he came up. Mm. And so for her, she was very much raised to be a wife and a mother. But she had dreams. And But for the first decade of our relationship, she wasn't pursuing it. She ended up writing a book about this. And it was actually really interesting to see the beginning of our marriage from her perspective mm. of like, oh, I've kind of been relegated to this housewife role. I don't know. Like, I know I want to be a mom because in the beginning she did. She wanted four kids. And, uh, you know, I know I want to be a mom, but I don't know that I want to be a housewife. And so, but I do want to support my husband. And so like that was the vibe. And then I needed her help at work when we started this new company. And she was like, to support my husband, mm. I will help. No interest in being an entrepreneur, just I want to be a good wife. I'm going to support my husband. And then supporting me was like, okay, the job's getting kind of big. Okay, now you, I'm gonna need you to hire some employees. Now you're running a division with 40 people under you and you're responsible for $85 million in revenue and you've got like a 10,000 square foot warehouse and like all this stuff. And it was just like, whoa, how did I turn around? And, and she's now an entrepreneur and like in the thick of it for years. And then realizes, actually, I don't want kids. I'm getting so much fulfillment out of this and growing and all of that, that I wanna do this thing. And I had to mourn the loss of my housewife. Mm. And it's something that we've talked really openly about. And she, you know, as this is all playing out, becoming very different, the dynamic between us is changing. And I was like, I want you to become whoever you want to become. Mm. And my value system mandates that I help you thrive in whatever way you want to thrive. But you have to give me the space to mourn that I used to have somebody that was supporting me cooking all my meals, laying out my clothes, taking care of the house. Um, you know, we were preparing to have kids, all that. And, and now that's going away. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm cool with that because I want you to be who you want to be, but let's be realistic about this is a major change. And so this is going to take some reorientation. And so we talked through it and processed through it. And I actually was very fine not having kids. For the longest time, I was the one dragging her feet. She wanted to have kids right away. And I was like, yo, let's slow roll this here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I was very fine with that. But that change in dynamic wasn't something that was easy. But to your earliest point on this, it's we're not battling. Like we're trying to find this thing where we're sharing a life together. And that's how we've always looked at it is, okay, for us, divorce isn't an option. We never say the D Mm -hmm. word. We don't even joke about it. So I'm never going to be like, oh, if you don't do that, you're going to find yourself out on the street. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, we don't yeah. play that game at yeah. all. Yeah, we don't either. And um, this is the other thing that's difficult to say. But if you want to preserve a relationship, that's the sort of attitude that we will take in a lot of cases. In a lot of cases. And there are people who get married and never never say a crossword to each other. Mm. Uh, but they're not the majority. Um and there are obviously people who are abusive and, and all of that. But for the vast majority of people, having a relationship that you're not prepared to give up on, either of you, it has to be both of you. Mm. It has to be both of you that are not prepared to give up on, uh, is going to make it much more likely that you don't give up on it. Absolute facts. And so, again, in a culture where we treat each other much more as objects than we, I think, ever have done before mm. where you know oh blonde brunette you know get whatever you want on on an app uh, that is much less likely i think and also we are all um we're all so much more interested in ourselves as individuals um that 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 again becomes more difficult so um that thing that you're talking about that's the way that's the way it's certainly the way that i've experienced it um, the way to fulfillment in a relationship, the way to being together, to being able to have different visions of your future and reconcile them over time and accept that you're not both exactly the way that the other person would like. Mm. That's a that's a process, man. That's a process that you have to really, really work on. Uh, and in order to do that, when you've got all these other great options, supposedly, um, you know, it takes that commitment. It takes that commitment, I think. It takes saying... We're not talking about divorce mm. because there's, I don't know about you. There have been plenty of situations in which in our relationship, we could have gone down that towards that path at least, mm. you know? Um, and to me, you know, all the stuff that we do and whatever, it's inevitable that your relationship with your spouse is going to be the most important thing. Uh, it just is. No doubt. Just is. No doubt. Yeah, man. Relationships, this is, it's hard to watch what's happening in the culture now where there's just people having sex a lot less and you get the, um, God, I always forget how the stat goes, but it's like a small number of men are getting um, all the action, getting all the action. Yeah. Nice, nice and easy way to say it. And then hypergamy, which for people that haven't heard that word before, the female tendency to date across and up in the status hierarchy um, as women make more money, it becomes a more narrow pool. Mm-hmm. And if they're not able to broaden their horizons economically, then they find themselves without a mate or they're competing for that really, really small pool of guys that then aren't, uh, they're not going to commit because they've got so many women coming to them for sex. 
and I hear this anecdotally. I mean, I I have friends who are like incredible women. Incredible. They're hot. They are successful. They are f- fucking brilliant, talented, and and they they find themselves in relationships with guys where you know their expectation of what relationship is supposed to be which is commitment and so on mm. because the the guy that they're with has to be even in many situations even more richer, amazing even more yeah. amazing you don't need to, you don't need to commit you don't need to commit and and there's also another factor here which is you know again this is difficult to say but mate value is different for men and women particularly over time and as a woman, as you get older, a, a guy in his 50s who's a billionaire and successful and famous and whatever, he doesn't need to be dating a woman his age, mm. right? But a woman in her 50s is not likely to be dating a hot 25-year-old guy. It's just right. not how that works. So I feel really so much empathy and sympathy and a lot of concern, actually, for women who are in that situation because mm. they deserve to 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 be fulfilled and to have those relationships and to have the kids that they want to have, but we've we've got a society where that that's more difficult. Mm. You know, it, it's it's really not a healthy situation in my opinion. And also, you talk about you know um, people having less sex, and it's true, young people are having less sex than others, and you do have the the issue at the top of the sort of male where they're having a lot. But also there are a lot of women now who are having a lot of sex, not because they actually want to, but because they think that this is the one that's going to take them to the relationship mm. that they want. You see what I mean? And women are now quite often finding themselves having sex in a very masculine male way, mm. where it's like you're supposed to not feel detachment, not feel attachment and all of that. And the truth is that's not really how it works for the vast majority of women. There are some exceptions, of course. But having sex in the male way for women just kind of makes them miserable, mm. you know? And I, I think that's tragic. I think we should all acknowledge that that's tragic, that, that, that a lot of women are doing things that aren't making them happy. But again, for some reason, saying it makes you a bad person. Mm. I think that, so if I were going to steal, man, why that makes you a bad person, here's yeah. what I think is happening. Yeah. So there is, people need to know that I'm a worthy person. I'm worthy of love. Mm-hmm. I'm worthy of respect, no matter what path I choose. And so that's why, if I were going to insert like a new way to talk about this, it's yeah. like, it, let's say that I'm a life counselor and mm-hmm. I, I do this in business a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I do this in life uh, stuff. We have something called Impact Theory University. People come and ask me questions, and I'm like, here's how I think through that problem. Mm-hmm. If somebody came to me with that, the first thing I always say is, okay, what's your goal? You tell me the goal. And then I'm going to try to help you get there. Mm. Uh, And if you tell me that, okay, my goal is to have a lot of sex, but I don't want to catch feels. Okay, we can do that, but we have to understand there's no solutions, only trade-offs. So if you run that, here are going to be the potential risks given what evolution has primed you for, which is going to be connection, that uh, sex is a high investment thing because from an evolutionary standpoint, 
you getting pregnant was a big deal for guys, not so much. Amazing, you know, dine and dash. And they're good and maybe they have a kid, maybe they don't. But for you, you're going to carry that kid. It's a huge expense. You have to raise them. Ah, So that is a, it puts you in a super vulnerable position, all that. So there's a lot of machinery in your brain that's going to be different than the partner that you're seeking who's really wired for that game that you're playing. So we can do it, cool. But like, we need to understand what what are going to be the trade-offs here. Odds of you catching feels go up a lot. Odds of you finding finding fulfillment in doing that go down a lot. Uh, you're going to be pulling against sort of the evolutionary trajectory, which again, I'm perfectly open to navigating that path. But I just want people to start. This, this isn't a moral thing. You're not a worse person. Yes. But if you're playing a, what I'll, when I say a higher risk game, what I mean is that evolution has given you a playbook for fulfillment. There's not only one path. So there are different ways to get there. But like the thing that I think protects Lisa and I somewhat is we understand by not having kids that we're we're taking the more high risk path to fulfillment because we're doing it through a company that's part of it so what happens to my fulfillment if the the public that is consuming the product that I make is like this sucks hmm. do I get to be fulfilled anymore or is it now, well, you didn't get the outcome that you wanted and so that invalidates my whole life? Mm. So we've had to build like thought matrices to deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that we combat that is don't value yourself for the end result, value yourself for the sincere pursuit. Mm -hmm. So did you sincerely try to get a growth mindset out at scale through ideas and entertainment? Yes, but it just, it didn't work. I was never able to quite build the skill set. All right, man, you went for something. You really played to mm. win and et cetera, et cetera. So, all right, you're you're going down this this high risk path, not not risk, you know, necessarily cosmically, just fulfillment mm -hmm. is my North Star. I laid that out earlier, what I think everybody should be optimizing for. And so if we can strip some of the judgment away from that, if we can give people a growth mindset so they know, oh, I didn't get what I wanted. Okay, I can try something different and hopefully get something more akin to what I want in another path. So you're not giving up your agency. You know what you want. You established your goal first. You run an experiment. This this is literally the physics of progress. Mm. You know what your goal is. You see what the obstacle is between where you're at and your goal. You run the experiment. Did you actually get closer to your goal? Yes, no. If no, try again better the next time. You know what I mean? You just repeat the cycle. But if you feel like, whoa, I didn't get what I wanted. That doesn't feel good. I feel judged by you. Now I'm just gonna go on the attack so you don't tell me the thing that I'm feeling. Mm. And that's where it's like, well, now you can't even navigate well on the higher risk path that you've chosen to get the fulfillment that you ultimately want to feel. Which is where we come back to the fact that most people are not operating at a level of emotional detachment that you are. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, and also if you speak to women privately, a lot of them will say that the, the, the falling into the trap that I described is not a deliberate thing. They're not going out to go and have lots of sex without catching the feels. If they're actually honest with themselves, not all of them, but many of them, uh, if they can get past the emotion, what they what they actually want is to 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 date and find a partner to be with for the for, you know, I was going to say the rest of the life because that's kind of my value, but you know what I mean mm. to to settle down with to have children with whatever if the, if that's what they want, um, but they're not able to do that because they feel that there's a pressure because all the other girls are available to the guy that they're currently mm. with to have sex with on the second day. Mm. However, anecdotally, as I observe people around me, the women who don't don't let that happen straight away tend to end up much more likely securing the partner. 
Yeah. That, that seems to be a, a strategy that works better. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, I'm actually loving this conversation so much, partly because you're showing people a way of operating in the world that is so much more powerful than the way that the vast majority of people operate. Probably mm. to some extent, me included. I don't have the level of emotional detachment that you do uh, in terms of making these decisions. So it's, uh, I'm learning. It's interesting. You uh, you have a way, though, of thinking that is very analytical. You're able to articulate very difficult points. Um, so I suppose in the end, this is all a trade-off because I would kill to be able to do what you do, uh, which now brings us to the triangle of evil because I, I want your <laughs> well, thoughts on this. Well, that is a segue, isn't it? Well, I need your help on this because this is something that I um, Let's talk I find about evil. very you. distressing. <laughs> yeah. I think of evil, I think of you, Constantine. <laughs> Come on, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the triangle of evil is uh, Mao, Stalin, Hitler. Mm-hmm. And I think that they, I've read a lot about them and they feel to me reflective of something that's just real in the human psyche. Um, And I have taken away from reading about them. So oddly enough, Hitler was like sort of the, the slow boy in all of this did not kill nearly as many people as Stalin and Mao, like which growing up, I never heard about. I had no idea that those were uh, dark figures Mm -hmm. in the world, which is already startling. But reading about them, uh, getting back to this idea of their... So, in fact, we haven't talked about this, but we've sort of danced around it. The way I see the world is it is a a scale. So you have right and left just to keep it easy. Mm -hmm. But there's pathology on both sides. Mm -hmm. So if you go too far in either direction, you're going to have a problem. It doesn't matter. So Mao and Stalin are what the left look like when they become pathological. And Hitler is what the right looks like when it becomes pathological. Um, in, even in, in and of itself, I, that's disputable, but we can get into it. Hit me that. with it. Well, people don't like to hear this argument, but there's a reason that Hitler's party was called the National Socialists. Interesting. And what does the right then look like if it goes pathological? Well, this is the debate. I mean, not only Nazism, but also fascism. I mean, the term fascism comes from the word fascia, which is a bundle in Rome that was woven. It's it's a collectivist mindset. Mm. Both the fascist and, and the national socialists on a large number of things were uh, left-wing in, in the way that we conceive of being left-wing now, economically particularly. Um, we have an interview on our channel with... Uh, one of my favorite guests ever. He's a brilliant guy called Stephen Hicks, a Canadian professor uh, of, he's a philosopher and historian of philosophy. And and if you kind of want to delve into that, I'd recommend people go and check mm. that out because I, I won't do it justice here. Uh, however, I we can also conceptualize it rather than going as a scale, as a circle, which is, or, or like a, a horseshoe or something where the two extremes end up coming quite close mm. together because- they end up operating in similar ways. Um, so it's a, just a side point, really, for, for our discussion. No, it's actually very interesting. So uh, reading about them, seeing that there's this horseshoe-shaped yeah. where the the they're trying to control everything because, and I'll even give them, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, and I will say they're not evil. They really believed that they had the right answer. Now it's tough 
to look real close and not feel like they weren't just fucking evil, Mm. but that's too easy. It's, It's an easy way to dismiss them. Let's say for a second that they really believed in their heart that they were going to do good things for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, but just real quick, I just have to kill a few of you Mm -hmm. in order to get everybody in line because I'm trying to distribute things fairly, or I'm trying to, in the case of, yeah, the case of Nazi Germany, like, Hey, we got a bum rap, you know, after world war one, like we got to rise out of this somehow. And, uh, but I'm going to have to kill a few of you. And I am going to have to make sure that you don't say anything bad against me. And so to distribute everything evenly, uh, we're going to have to kill the kulaks. And um, But at the end of this, everything's going to be okay. Mm. So what is it about human nature that allows people to think that to usher in the utopia, it's okay to break a few eggs to make the omelet? If you strive to perform your best in life, bringing your energy and abilities into everything you do, then it only makes sense that you would want to be out on the road with that same power, agility, and performance that everyone expects from you. And there's no better option than the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable SUV yet, the third-generation Range Rover Sport. You guys know I love staying on the cutting edge with technology, and the Range Rover Sport's cabin features advanced technologies such as active noise cancellation, and cabin air purification, a must, offering you and your family and friends new levels of comfort and refinement while traveling. The Range Rover Sport provides an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and redefines sporting luxury for the power, agility, and performance you demand in every area of your life. Explore the Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. I don't know is the honest answer. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about collectivism before, and I think that's a big part of the answer to your question. Uh, collectivism is an ideology that uh, justifies the sacrifice of some for the benefit of the greater good. So the pathology requires the abandonment of the individual's sac- sacredness. It, it, certainly in the cases that you are talking about, that was absolutely the case. Mm. Uh, these are not people who believed in the rights of the individual. Uh, these are people who believed that for the greater good, some people must be sacrificed. Um, and who knows? I mean, one of the difficult parts of this conversation is, can you run a country like Russia on a Western liberal mindset. Mm. This is a big debate among geopoliticians. Because the people just won't take to it. It's not so much about the people. It's it's a pretty fucking hard country to survive in. It's cold. It's remote. It's disparate. It's poorly developed. Uh, can you really uh, make that country exist uh, without authoritarianism, it's mm. it's, a, it's a legitimate question. Actually, why would it need authoritarianism? I thought you were going to say you would need collectivism. Well, it's both. So you can't have one without the other. So really. you need a totalitarian leader to have a collectivist state. Is potentially a way of looking at decision. I'm, I'm not committing to that statement. But if you look at uh, the history of Russia, I mean, Russia's never had democracy mm-hmm. ever. There's mm. never been a single proper democratic transition of power in Russia ever, hmm. ever. Um, 
it it's it's not the case uh, you know the, there are different ways of conceiving of it a lot of geopolit- geopolitical thinkers talk about uh, the civil different types of civilizations and british and american civil civilizations like um this is actually something i have a, a couple of pieces on my substack about this uh breaking down the philosophy of a guy called alexander dugan who's called uh, they call him putin's brain mm. now how influential he is in the kremlin we don't know exactly but i break down some of the the basic arguments and the argument is that uh countries like britain and america they're civilizations of the sea they're trading nations they're commercial nations they use the power of their navy historically speaking like the british empire and today the united states to influence and 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 interact with other countries whereas and this goes back historically carthage was a civilization of the sea this was a trading nation and they stood in opposition to the roman empire which is a civilization of the land mm-hmm. to the chinese and the russian empires today which are civilizations of the land and one of the arguments is that civilizations of the land are necessarily collectivist mm. and necessarily authoritarian because the way that they have to operate in the world is very very different to the way that trading nations operate because the values of liberalism for example are much more suited to a naval based trading nation uh, than it is to a collect a land based nation like a russia or a china so to some extent you know am i claiming that if it's kind of like that argument about can you bomb democracy into afghanistan well it turns out you can't right and that's because they have their own culture and their own values that don't really then that it's not having voting booths is not enough for democracy right mm. it requires certain other cultural assumptions that don't exist in other parts of the world um so yeah collectivism seems to be a particular thing that goes hand in hand with authoritarianism and it makes sense because if you have a society in which um the majority is going to kill a minority or tell them what to do or restrict their rights and somehow that will require force mm. inevitably yeah that's the part that always feels like it's missing from the dialogue of people that want to uh you know redistribute wealth or whatever is at some point when you start taking things from one person to give to somebody else you're going to have to do that by force like it won't it won't just happen naturally and so you really stopped me in my tracks when you said that uh, a collectivist nation requires an authoritarian leader i had never thought about that before um that's really interesting cuz i had always thought about it as just communism requires an authoritarian leader but I didn't step it back to the collectivist society that ends up giving birth to communism. Also, just by its nature, that's where it's headed. Mm. Uh, that's really interesting. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't. I don't actually know if it's true. I'm throwing it out there as, mm. as an idea for us to discuss. It I rings think distressingly true. true. Yeah. I just don't like the way it makes me feel. <laughs> so that okay. So the reason that I call this a triangle of evil is mm. because reading about it was really eye-opening. So I grew up in Tacoma, Washington, not particularly educated on this kind of stuff. Then went straight into business as a way to have enough resources to tell my stories. And so maybe when a lot of other people were waking up to what the world is like, I was not. Um, and so I discovered this when I started reading about history And when you read about history, you start to see the patterns that people are talking about. And you're like, whoa, like this stuff really does repeat. Like this becomes really predictable. 
which is why I it feels like talking about culture is important mm. because whatever happens to the culture is really going to have profound impacts on the individual. My bias again. Uh, and how they either can thrive or not thrive. And so reading about, for instance, how Mao took over China um, and what the human tragedy is when you really believe that it's okay to kill as many people as you need to in order to have the power to make the world go the way that you want it to go and I can't help but keep defaulting back to um, if you know what your goal is and you know the experiment that you're going to run and you can look at the outcome of this, mm. it's like, hey, this is predictable that if if you try to do communism, like you, because everyone keeps going, well, communism hasn't really been tried or socialism uh, hasn't really been tried. It's like, but you can run it even as a thought experiment. So even if I grant you, okay, these were all imperfect, the thought experiment should lead you to realize it can't be done perfectly. Like it's not possible because you're asking every single person to willingly give things up on an equal basis. And when you interface with the world in any capacity, you very quickly realize it, it's just impossible to get everybody to think the same. Mm. And so my read on this is that evolution guaranteed that people don't think the same, that it wants that dynamic tension that we mm. were talking about before. Mm. What do you, like as somebody that grew up in the USSR, what do you say to people that are like, oh, it's never really been tried and we just need to get it right? You know, in some ways, I almost don't think there's any point in saying anything because I don't think they're coming from the same place that you come from when you're talking about these things. You come at it from the point of view of what is my goal? How am I going to get there? Mm. Uh, I don't think the people who advocate for, you know, fairly extreme forms of socialism or communism uh, or social democracy, as they call it, but often it's really a disguise for, for, for their views. Uh, I don't think they're coming at it from the point of view of a goal. I think they're coming at it from a point of view of dissatisfaction with the status quo. Mm. Uh, and people who start revolutions are operating almost always on that basis. It's not about, you know, you know I was driving past a shop and I saw a better table I'll go and buy that table. It's like, this table is so bad. Let's throw it out and then we'll find something, mm. right? Um, I think that tends to be how people think about it. And, you know, the thing I always say to people in the West, you talk about the inevitability of it all. Um, as you know, I talk about this in the book. My grandmother, she's not my biological grandmother, but she, she is my grandfather's second wife and i always called her my grandmother she was born in a gulag she was there because her parents who weren't married or didn't know each other at the time had been sent there both losing their other spouses in the process Oof. and they met there and she was born in in this camp and what happened once you were released from the camps was you were not allowed to live within a very long distance of the major cities in the USSR. Mm. You essentially became a, like a, a third-class citizen. And what happened was most of the former prisoners of these camps ended up settling in areas and small towns nearby where they lived together with 
the local small minority of the local native population, various sort of tribes that had been living there for, for centuries, and the former guards from the very same camps that these Whoa. prisoners had been in. In 1953, when Joseph Stalin died, um, my, grand, my grandmother and her family, they were living in a tiny flat, tiny apartment uh, across the landing there was another apartment which was a family where the man was one of the guards in one of the camps. Jesus. Living across like this. And uh, my grandmother tells the story how that guy's mother, if the kids misbehaved, she would say to them, you know, when your parents get sent back to the camp, Jesus. You're going to get kicked out and we're going to get your apartment as well. Wow. Now, 1953, Joseph Stalin dies. And... My grandmother told me that there was a spate of suicides among these former guards. Wow. Because what they were doing was finally revealed for what it was. These people truly believed. They truly believed that they, they were beating these people and torturing these people and killing these people for the greater good because that's what they were told. Mm. And so what I say to people in the West always is do not be a useful idiot. Do not violate your own moral standards and your own moral rules for the sake of the greater good. There is no greater good than your own moral standards. There is no greater good than that. Do you know, and in fact you do because you've read the book, but most people have no idea how the USSR got a nuclear bomb. It was given to them by Soviet sympathizers in the West. And that is why... Joseph Stalin, a man who killed millions of his own people, ended up having a nuclear weapon and was able, therefore, to threaten and challenge the West. And that's how you end up with a Cold War. Mm. Because people in the West, some of them, were so enamored with their own vision of utopia that they would give the most destructive weapon in the history of the world to one of the most evil men in the 20th century because they believed in this collectivist vision and they were useful idiots. Do not be a useful idiot. Do not violate your own moral code for anyone, for anything. That's what I say to people in the West. How do you come up with a moral code? Well, you're going all Jordan Peterson on me because <laughs> when he had me on his podcast, we had a three-hour conversation about God. I listened to it, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was difficult because the flippant and obvious answer is it's what i learned from my parents it's what i learned from the books i read it's from i learned from the society in which i lived from the movies i watched and mm. what i the residual um the, the residual thing that i got out of that um but, you know, jordan peterson will probably tell you it's religion you know other people will tell you something else i don't have that answer i wish i did do you think we live in a time where you have to cobble one together i've had to cobble one together yeah yeah. Have you? Yes. Right. So that's kind of wor <laughs> worrying in, in some I ways. I think it's part of why we're at where we're at. That's, that's what I think that's what we're talking about exactly. But I also think a moral code, it's not always true because a moral code will sometimes require you to jump in front of a tank. But generally speaking, a moral code is a good long-term strategy. Because it is a way of relating to other people and to reality that is more effective than others. 
This is one of the things that I find so funny when people say to me, oh, Constantine, you're so brave for speaking out about these. I actually believe that. You believe that? Yeah. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Okay. Well, what I say to those people, are you fucking mental? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? How is it brave? My ancestors starved to death in the gulags. What you think me expressing my opinion in public is brave. Yeah. Why? That's insanity. There's nothing brave about it. It's my duty to say what I think if I think that something is wrong, isn't it? Yes. So why is that brave? Uh, just because something is right doesn't mean that it's not, doesn't demand courage. Okay. How does it demand courage? Ooh, that's interesting. This doesn't feel like you could possibly be asking me that question. I love it. We are, we are equally thinking the other person is absolutely out of their minds. <laughs> okay, so uh, here's how I look at your life. You are you are whippet smart, man, and you are really articulate, and you could make a real living even in the Soviet Union if you just like turned a part of your brain off that was like I'm either never going to talk about these things mm -hmm. or I'm only going to talk about them when I'm at home. And I will use the system to my advantage. I will work my way up, which you'd be very easily be able to do uh, because you can outthink people. So I have a feeling if you had just a little evil in you, you could get people to think things were their ideas that were clearly yours. Uh, you would manipulate the shit out of them. You would rise to a position of power. And so you could do all of that. And now it would require you to set aside your moral compass or not have one mm. or adopt one out of convenience, right. which I, I unfortunately think humans are all too capable of doing. So the fact that you don't do any of that, the fact that you um, are in a Western country in a moment where people really get a certain religious emotional um righteousness mm -hmm. out of tearing down wrong think mm -hmm. and the wrong people and it makes them feel like they have done something good and it's a a sugar version of moral virtue but it's still like something it gives them a rush mm -hmm. and so now look you're not dumb so you've made you've made a, a good living out of doing that and i think your channel is only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger but um because in i'll say i'll say in a single sentence why to me it's you seem brave uh you're a contrarian you don't mind the conflict you actually posted a hilarious photo of you maybe it was a video i can't remember on twitter it was you with a machine gun and you said uh uh it's Getting like ready to open twitter in the yeah morning. exactly exactly and i was like that's fucking hilarious and then yeah i'm not going to do that because I hate that. And my audience, and this may not seem as weird to you because this is the only time we sat down across from each other. My audience is going to find this episode very weird. Oh, are they? I've never done an episode like this ever. Have you not? Never. Oh, wow. So, Wait, you should have told me. I would have gone easy on them. No, this is great. I love it. Like, I, I will... I would have lit a candle, you no, know, that. did a little stroking, you know. It's very kind. No, 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 no <laughs> need. But it's... Um, so... Anyway, I when I see people that are just completely unafraid to roll up to Twitter with the machine gun in hand, I'm like, all right, you you say what you believe in. You're standing for something. I think. But it's what amazing. should I be afraid of? This is what I don't understand. What what is it that I'm supposed to be afraid of? A bunch of people I don't know and don't respect on a social media platform where they don't even show your their face or name saying things about me. No. You should fear what's happening to Jordan Peterson. 
He said he's in the middle of 10 lawsuits. As somebody that's been in the middle of lawsuits, let me tell you what a toll they take on mm-hmm. you. And he, Maybe I'm too stupid and not brave. Maybe that's you're, what's going on. I don't think you're stupid, but you might be naive to something. Yeah. That is entirely possible. Mm. And as you crack, it'll be interesting to see what happens to you. When you crack a million subs on YouTube, it starts to get different real fast. Yeah. And what's happening with Jordan, where he's with the whole Bill C-16, mm-hmm. which I can think of no hotter, like that's the nuclear core. Mm. And he came to prominence by latching on to the nuclear core. And he has said in his very Jordan Peterson way that um, I, if you arrest me, I will, uh, if you give me a fine, I will refuse to pay it. If you put me in jail, I will go on a hunger strike. And I actually think he means it. I think he's so fucking stubborn mm. that he actually will. And in the Gulag Archipelago, there's a great section from Solzhenitsyn where he says, it's really interesting. People come in, you get tortured, everybody breaks. Actually, that's not true. Not everybody breaks. And the people that are so ideologically like convicted, they, they will let you kill them and they're all women. And I was like, that is fucking hilarious. Going back to what you were saying about men and women being different. And I just thought, that's my wife. My, and that's Jordan Peterson, which he has said, I have a more feminine temperament. Mm-hmm. Like he just will get something in his head and it apparently, no matter the amount of pain that rains down on that man, mm-hmm. he just keeps going. And uh, that doesn't look fun to me. His life does not look fun to me, but I believe, you know, Jordan isn't perfect. He's a man. Clearly. And by the way, I think he's amazing. So do but I. holy shit. Uh, does he sometimes say things? And I'm like, Jordan, are you trying to make your life suck? Like, that's a really dumb way to say that. But if we come back to the very beginning of our conversation, which is about meaning and fulfillment, I couldn't be fulfilled using my whatever, you're very kind about my intelligence and everything else, using that for things I I fundamentally, I think are wrong, Mm -hmm. right? So that reads as brave. P.S. Well, no, what that reads as is not having a choice. Doesn't read as brave to you. I get that. I hear you. But I don't have a choice. Uh, bravery is when you're like, well, I could do this, or I could do that, I'll do this. I don't really feel like I have a choice. I feel like I, I you know, it's weird that I, I have a background that's quite unusual that is perfectly fitted to the cultural moment of at the moment, which is, I can't, I was born in the Soviet Union. I speak Russian and English. I understand both cultures. I can articulate myself pretty well. I grew up in Britain, so I fit in that culture. I can see it as an outsider and likewise in America. Um, you know, I can make things funny if I need to. I can be serious if I need to. Like, it's a, it's a skill set and a, and a background that not many people have. So what choice do I have? Would you be a dissident in Russia? Yes. Yeah, see, fuck. Do you know uh, my whole family were dissidents in Russia? So, like, it's it's not it's not a new thing. That is very interesting. <laughs> That's you know- actually one of the things that I wrote a piece on my Substack when my son was born, um, uh, and I talked about a lot of this. You know, we come from generations of people who who were killed for their beliefs. Mm. I'm not going to dishonor them. I, I'll say it again. Uh, from where I'm sitting, that's brave. I want to think that I would be as tough. I don't know if I'd be a dissident in Russia. That's just the honest answer. And it doesn't make me feel good about myself. 
But, and the story I will tell myself tonight is going to be that I would work in the underground, but I wouldn't be, I think her name is Nadia from Pussy Riot. Mm. No fucking way. And I, I have met her and had her to the house. And I was just like, what the fuck were you doing? Like, that was my impulse. Hmm. It was just like, uh, you know, they kill people for doing that. So yeah, I'm, I, I am terrified that I could ever become the useful idiot. I am terrified that I will get tested by life and come out a coward. Uh, so I do, I mean, the whole reason that I have changed the tenor of my show over the last three years is to not feel like a coward. Uh, but I don't know that I'd be a dissident in Russia. I don't know that I would. You know what? I think the truth is that nobody does. You don't know who you are until you're in that moment. I, I might turn out to be a little pussy if I, if, I, if I go back to Russia, which I don't for precisely the reasons that mm. we've discussed. Um, I don't think you do know that. I don't think anyone does. Um, but my point is, and, and this is it's, it's not a self-obsessed conversation, I'm just, I don't understand why people keep saying this to me. The, the things that I'm saying are reasonable things. Uh, I do my best to articulate them in a way that people can hear. Sometimes I fail, mm. of course, and sometimes, just like Jordan Peterson, I'm human, right? So I say things that piss people off and... Uh, I'm surrounded by people who give me advice on how to say them better, for which I'm grateful. Uh, and one of the things that really I find very positive, particularly after the Oxford speech that I did, I get very famous people from the left reaching out to me now and going, can we talk? How about this? Can we discuss this? Mm. Giving me advice too and going, look, if you want to, you know, we can see that in your speech you were trying to reach the other side. Well, if you do here's a way that you might want to phrase this, right? I see that as reassurance. I see that as, as a sign of that I'm doing the right thing. Mm. But I don't really understand what, what this is that I'm supposed to fear. You know, okay, I, I don't know why Jordan is in 10 lawsuits, but do, do, do I think that I need to be? Probably not, you know? Um, I haven't made a massive living out of trigonometry. It's just something that pays the bills at the moment. It, it will get to a point where, you know, it's, it's massive. I look forward to that moment. I see already in the last few months what happens as you grow. Mm. Uh, the words you say matter more. People take them more literally, more seriously, and you have to. But that's a, it's an exciting challenge, isn't it? And, you know, I remember it's a moment that stuck with me when I was a kid. Um, I went to a boarding school, uh, and so we rarely encountered the parents of the other kids. Well, one time I was watching a, a rugby game, uh, that my friend was playing in and his dad was on the sideline. And we were talking about a, a, pre, a game, uh, an international rugby game that had happened a few days ago. And somebody said to him, well, you know, there was this player, he took the final kick. Imagine that pressure. Mm. Wow, that's got to be hard. And this dad of my friend, he said, that's not, that's not how you think about it. The way you think about it is, imagine how many people would love to be in the position to have that sort of impact. Mm. And that always stayed with me. You know, what a privilege it is. You know, I've just spent however long, you know, before we sat down and people would think I'm sucking up to you, but we sat down, we were talking about uh, various stuff. And one of them was uh, my business, trigonometry, you know, and I could see within seconds that you've got like one of the most incredible mindsets about that stuff. 
that I've ever encountered. And I get to sit here and speak with you for hours. Where's the bravery? Come on, man. Tens of thousands of your countrymen, many of whom are still alive, stormed the beaches of Normandy. Mm. Come on. Come on. More people need to say what they think. And it's not that scary. It's not that hard. And by the way, if more people did it, it would be a lot less scary for everybody. Mm. And that's why, you know, I, I came here from Bill Maher's show. Bill Maher is doing exactly what he should be. He's using his voice to say enough. Enough of this craziness. And guess what? Nothing happens. Especially if you're a multimillionaire Hollywood celebrity. Nothing happens. And guess what? His audience is now filled with people who were clapping points that I was making. Right? That's what happens when people speak up. So let's, the reason I resist so much this label of brave is not some personal thing. I just think it, I'm not saying it's true in your case. I'm not saying it's true in other people's cases, but a lot of people want to push that bravery onto me so they don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. So they can say, well, I'm not as brave. I'm going to sit here and say nothing. Well, it doesn't take any courage, really. It just takes principles. Dude, this has been so fun. Where can people follow you? I'm uh, at Constantin Kissin everywhere. The YouTube channel is Trigonometry and the book is An Immigrant's Love Letter to the West. Everybody, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.